Tonight, I'd like to continue the theme of personal wholeness, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who, that calleth you who also will do it. I want to speak tonight on wholeness of soul. Amen. You may be seated. God breathed into the lifeless body of Adam that he had formed from the dust of the ground. And the breath of God made Adam a living soul. So in this most general sense, soul refers to who we are, entire makeup of man. We are a soul and we possess a soul. A soul can refer to your entire being because God created us this way. Jesus asked, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus said, don't fear the one who can destroy your body alone, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So Jesus made that distinction. The writer of Hebrews said that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, it is only the Word of God, I believe, that is sharp enough that can divide the soul from the spirit because they are so closely associated. That's what the writer of Hebrews said, close connection. When the great commandment was given in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Bible said, The hero Israel, the Lord our God, is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord thy God with all of thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. So there seems to be a distinction made of the parts of whom we are. I try to aim for simplicity instead of complexity, and I think it, there is a simplicity beyond complexity. When we talk about our soul, we're really talking about everything we are in one sense. We are a soul. We're also talking about a dimension of our lives. One Bible dictionary said that body, flesh, spirit, soul, mind, conscience, heart, will, and emotions are not discrete parts of a human being which exist independently but make up the totality of that person. We are one entity, but we're made up of different components. And for the purpose of our discussion about wholeness, spiritual wholeness, I'm not trying to so much debate the nature of man as to try to shed light on how to be, get wholeness into every facet of our being. Uh, the subject of this, everything that we're talking about this month, is a whole lot more than we can discuss in a few weeks. Next Wednesday night, our breakouts, the Wednesday following is General Conference, and I will be there uh, doing the business of the United Pentecostal Church. So tonight I'm going to try to cover a lot of territory, knowing that we'll probably come back and revisit some of this again. In the last two Sundays especially, well, in last Wednesday night as well, there has been such an undercurrent of God's Spirit. And it has been a powerful 
work of the Spirit. I've watched the Lord do some tremendous things in so many people, and there's been a lot of feedback that this has been helpful. So I appreciate that, and I appreciate what the Lord is doing. Uh, sometime this afternoon, I was on a study break, and it dawned on me as I was trying to, uh, to kind of put uh, facets of this message into compartments that it is just as difficult as putting spirit, soul, body into compartments because they are so interrelated. So I will find myself weaving my way back and forth a little bit, just as the Bible does on this whole idea. Now, I would like to spend a whole night on the wholeness of body, but I, I can't, so I want to take a segment of this message to talk about this. The Bible said, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says that we are to perfect holiness by working holiness in our flesh, our body, if you look at the original word there, and our spirit. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I keep under my body. I bring my body under control. I make it do uh, what it ought to do, not what it wants to do. He told the Thessalonians that they were to stay away from sexual immorality, fornication, and that they were to know how to possess their vessel, their body, in sanctification and in honor. That Paul told Timothy that in a great house there are all kinds of vessels that are used in the business of a household. There are vessels of honor, vessels of dishonor. There are vessels that are made of wood and clay. There are inexpensive utensils used for everyday use. And then there are those things that are made of gold and silver that are saved for special occasions. And he told Timothy, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil, a vessel of honor that will be meet or worthy of the master's use. The health of our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost is a part of the stewardship of our body. Sleep, Sabbath, diet, exercise, avoiding addictive behaviors, avoiding the sins of the body are all a part of the health of our body. But our mind will and emotions, our soulish realm, affects our body. A couple of weeks ago when I started this series, Sister Rebecca Pemberton, who works in this field, we were having just a brief discussion after church, standing in the back of the sanctuary, about the effect of stress on the human body. I don't think I have to build this case, because by now, we've learned this. Science has learned this. We've learned this by studying the effect of stress on the human body. But stress is affected by the way we think and our attitudes toward other people. It is affected by the ability to forgive other people. This is what I've read. The effect of mental, emotional, and physical stress on the body is startling. Each one of us reacts to stress differently. Some people, I've learned, are stress carriers. They're infectious. Others are stress catchers. They're sensitive and they catch 
everybody else's issues and make them their own. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States says that stress amounts for, accounts for about 75% of all doctor's visits. This involves an extremely wide span of physical complaints, including but not limited to headache, back pain, heart problems, upset stomach, stomach ulcer, sleep problems, tiredness, and accidents. According to the Occupational Health and Safety News, the National Council on Compensation of Insurance, up to 90% of visits to primary care physicians are for stress-related complaints. They say that chronic stress over time, you know, chronic stress affects us more than just a stressful incident in our life. And it can be just daily hassles, frustration, traffic jams, work overload, financial difficulties, marital arguments and stress, family problems, lots of other things that can cause us stress that we encounter in our daily lives. But they say that pent-up stress, pent-up anger inside ourselves toward other people and situations, and guilt and resentment that we hold toward other people and ourselves produce the same effects on our brain and on our body. And instead of discharging stress, when we hold it in, the effect becomes cumulative. There's an article about the stress, about stress in your heart. A study of over 1,600 patients found that certain personality traits were uh, more prone to hypertensive, in, hypertension in patients. Those who got upset easily when they were criticized or by their own imperfections. When people have pent up anger when they lack self-confidence, they tend to be more prone to physical illnesses. Now, I understand their genetic issues, physical issues. We live in a fallen world. We have a mortal body that will one day die. This is a factor, but it is not the last word on why people get sick. Just like there are some people say that every time you get sick, it's because of sin. Well, that's true. It's because of original sin that we are fallen creatures, not necessarily because of the sin that you committed yesterday. Although that may be a factor too. And then there's this article by Johns Hopkins Medicine on the relationship between health and forgiveness. They say, now this is... You know, what I love about this is we have this book right here called the Bible. And long before medical science ever figured this out by studying cause and effect, God gave us a principle so we knew what effect would be created by the cause. But sometimes people would rather read it in a medical journal than the Bible and to be convinced of it, right? Whether it's a simple spat with your spouse, they say. This is the 
So she would rather hear John Hopkins. I know you wouldn't, but I'm just having fun here. Or a long-held resentment toward a family member or friend. Unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. They say it may be affecting your physical health. As a pastor, and in ministry 39 years, I say, duh, that's what I see. The good news, they said, is that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health. So it's good to forgive, not just so you won't be lost forever, but because you may live a little longer and be a little healthier while you're alive. That's what they say. It can lower the risk of heart attack. It can improve cholesterol levels help you with sleep, reduce pain, help your blood pressure, lower levels of anxiety, help you with depression and stress. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness, health connection as you age. Now, I don't know why that is, but I can guess that as you age, you've got a lot of other things going on. Why would you want to make it worse on your aging body by harboring years of resentment that build up like toxins in your body. You know, I've said before that the greatest revivals in the world ought to be in nursing homes. But when you've spent your life saying no to God, that will, even though your body's aging and maybe dying, that will that said no to God, that's my last point maybe tonight, the will, that will that has said no to God, just can't, can't, that stubborn will can't say I surrender. We should start practicing surrender now. There's an increase in the forgiveness health connection. They say forgiveness is not just about saying words. You know, it's, it's fun to read this out of, a, of, you know, an article and actually be wanting to say this myself <clears throat> so I can preach it with the authority of the Bible and medicine. It is an active process in which you make a conscious, conscious decision to let go of negative feelings whether the person deserves it or not. Whether they ask you to forgive them or not. Whether they're dead or not. As you release this anger, they say, you begin to feel empathy, compassion, sometimes even affection for the person who wronged you. And I've learned that love and hate are both the strongest emotions that we have. And you tend to become like the person you love and you tend to be like the person you hate because you are fixated on them. And you emulate them unconsciously. They've also found, you know, this I thought was amusing, that some people are just naturally more forgiving. Maybe it's true that some people are naturally more forgiving, but I found that forgiveness is a decision. It's a choice you make. And they say... Johns Hopkins says, and I'll get back to the Bible in a minute, that they're more satisfied with their lives. They experience less depression, 
less anxiety, stress, anger, and hostility. But they say people who hang on to grudges are more likely to experience severe depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as other health complications. And then they say that you can train your way out of that, that 62% of Americans say they need more forgiveness in their lives. So I wanted you to see in my little section on the body that our bodies are affected by the way we think, by the attitudes we hold. And that it doesn't mean that every time you catch a cold, like I seem to be doing now, that I need to repent for something. Maybe I need to repent for something. But that may not be why you got sick. But over a period of time, let's just be real. Our attitudes, our, our mindset, the way we think is killing us in America. Amen. Whole spirit, soul, body be preserved, blameless. I remind you uh, of something Brother Pugh said. I quoted it last week, J.T. Pugh. He said, I don't hate nobody. But he also told me that when he was a little bit older in life, I think around 70, maybe in his mid-70s, that the Lord spoke to him and said, if you will take care of yourself, I will do this and this and this for you in your ministry. But the Lord was not going to take care of his body. That was his responsibility as a steward of his body. Amen. We are laborers together with God. There are some things that he told us to do, and he will work with us. I remind you also, because it fits here, of what T.L. Craft said, don't let anything ever mess up your spirit. But he also said to me one day about taking care of myself, he said, if you were in business and you had a machine that cost $100,000, and that machine is how you made a living, you would take care of that machine. You would maintain that machine. And he said, your body is how you do what you do. It's how you minister. And so you need to take care of yourself. These elders have learned by experience. The human body and the effect on the human body of our attitudes the lack of forgiveness, stuff we harbor in our lives. Let's talk about the human emotions. Emotions can't be separated from the mind because they're a function of the mind. But I believe that emotions are directed or instructed by our minds. Emotions are affected by the way we think. Some people are emotionally motivated. Others are rationally motivated. Emotionally motivated people do whatever they feel. If it feels good, do it. If they feel like doing a good day's work, they do a good day's work. But if they don't feel like doing very well, they let their emotions control their actions. In your life, your emotions should be the caboose, not the locomotive. It should follow your decisions, not force your decisions. Emotionally motivated people are typically not very successful because they don't feel well often 
and they don't do well very often. Emotional Emotions are very unreliable in making decisions because the lust of the flesh operate in feelings, cravings, desires that are against the Bible and that's where we've got to get out of our emotional side, our left brain, back into our right brain to do the right thing. Now, emotions, emotions. The Bible acknowledged human emotions. And there are several studies that have been done and they identify maybe 27 emotions, 27 human emotions. I don't know. I think some of them are related. They overlap. But here's some of them, negative emotions. Fear, worry or anxiety. Hatred, and I believe the result, which is bitterness, sadness, confusion, sexual desire, which can be negative or positive, the confines of marriage, positive, cravings that we may have. they are positive emotions like love and compassion, like peace and excitement, like awe, awe, triumph, joy, satisfaction, having done well, admiration that's a feeling, and amusement, just happy for something that's going on. I learned as a youth pastor, there's a lot of youth ministry stuff creeping into this uh, month because I learned a lot of what I'm saying this month, kind of the foundation of this, trying to help young people make it through tumultuous teenage years. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now I've taught on this before in the last 22 years, but it fits here about emotions. Because heart, you could say, is kind of a feeling. And Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you can relocate your heart if you relocate your treasure. You can change your values. That's why people who never give never really love. The people who love Atlanta West Pentecostal Church the most are the people who support it financially, who have found a place of ministry, they've died on a few hills, they've given sacrificially in various ways, and this church means something to them. The person who comes and goes, which is generally not people here on Wednesday night, people who just come and go, who may never contribute a dime or time, It doesn't matter to them that much because they have no treasure, they have no heart. It's just the way we're wired. Jesus said it. Dealing with teenagers, going through a breakup, I learned that it's going to take time because you invested time with that person. Maybe you gave gifts to that person and, and you've got an investment of treasure. And wherever your treasure is, there, right there, your heart will also be there. The reason some of you can't focus on worship and praise is because you've got too much treasure pulling you another way. And if you invest yourself, time, money, you're going to think about that treasure. If you watched any of the videos of the destruction in the Keys, 
My family, by the way, fared somewhat well through the hurricane. Uh, my brother had uh, tree damage and a little water damage to his church and home. My mom, trees, a little roof damage, a lot of trees down at my mom's house and a lot of lost avocados that she's very upset about. It's avocados. I'm pretty upset about that actually myself because usually I get some in a couple months. But anyway, uh, but, but if, you, if you saw a picture of a house that was demolished in, Key, in the Keys, Key West, Key Largo or wherever, you probably thought, oh my goodness, that, that's terrible. But if that was your house, there's an entirely different emotion. If you read that six people in a nursing home died because of the, the heat when the electricity went out in Hollywood, Florida, that's a sad story. I prayed for those people tonight. I thought of the families of those six people. I know it's five and I think it now said six news, you know, whichever was right. That's sad. But if it was your mother who would have died in that nursing home, you have an entirely different feeling because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Whatever you get worked up about tells you treasure is there. I've got treasure there. That's why I'm emotional about this because I've invested myself somehow reading, thinking, giving, Whatever way it is, you've locked yourself into something, good or bad, and where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, the Bible gives a lot of instruction about emotions. Um, Where a merry heart makes the cheerful countenance. But by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. The Bible acknowledges stuff that happens in life that affect us emotionally. The Bible also says that we can work with our emotions. Proverbs 16, 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Now you say, I've got a quick temper, but the Bible says that you should be slow to anger and that you should rule your spirit. So that tells me that even though you may have a tendency to be hot-tempered, that you have a Bible principle to be cool-tempered. Now, you don't get permission, right, to allow your emotions to rule your ethics and your spiritual principles. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeases strife. The Bible talks about time to weep, laugh, mourn, dance. By the way, it's okay at Atlanta West Pentecostal Church when we're worshiping the Lord, to rejoice and laugh and dance before the Lord, there is a time to celebrate. Amen? The Bible tells us, it talks about fear, rejoicing with them that rejoice and weeping with those that weep. We should should be integrated people that can be emotional. Let me just, this is a little parenthesis, not really what I intended to talk about right now. But some people don't know how to empathize with other people. It's like stoic. Jesus, who knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, stood at the tomb and wept. Why did Jesus weep? You can speculate all you want. 
you know, and my opinion is that Jesus wept because there were people around him crying and he wept with them because the Bible says that we should weep with those that weep, right? And you show compassion on them. Anyway, now I want to read through a couple verses in Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit and we'll get there with the works of the flesh. And I want you to notice that some of these are like attitudinal, they're inner, and some are actions that we take. Galatians 5, 16, New King James Version on the screens. I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit lusts against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. I like that Paul said, in case I miss something that you think is okay to do, anything that's similar to this is part of what the flesh produces. Which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is what God's Spirit in you produces. Maybe not in equal amounts at the same time, but over time, over time, the Holy Spirit in you should do more for you than just prompt you to speak in tongues occasionally. That is the initial sign of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. And it's a continual use of God's Spirit through you. But it is not the final proof, it is not the litmus test of your obedience to Jesus Christ. Because if you surrender to the Spirit in church and walk out with hatred and unforgiveness, that is not God's seal of approval on ungodliness just because you yielded to the Spirit in His presence and spoke in tongues. There are some people new to Pentecost who say, well, I, that's easy for me to understand. And there are some old-time Pentecostals who say, uh-oh. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and Desires. I wanted you to just kind of see, in a nutshell, some scriptures that dealt with the emotional side of us and actions, the body. You see how even in the Bible, it's kind of all integrated together. So that's why it's impossible to put it into neat little boxes when you're teaching about it, because they affect each area of our lives. Now, let's talk about the mind for a little bit. The mind. 
Uh, someone said that your brain is hardware, that your mind is software. I'm not sure that's a perfect illustration, but I think that may help. Because your brain is an organ of the body, right? And most of us, you know, I would say, I guess we basically have the same number of brain cells, but it's my experience that they don't all work the same. We don't all have the same IQ. The brain is complex, and it is an organ of the body. Uh, several years ago, in a message called Evangelizing Your Subconscious, I spoke about, you know, the conscious and, un- and subconscious world. And that fallen humans, they say, we only use a, a fraction of our brain, some less than others, using their brain. But I want you to understand a few things about the brain, and I'm not a medical doctor or a psychologist or a psychiatrist. The brain can become diseased and injured. Cancer, Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, stroke, epilepsy, neurological disorders, brain damage by trauma. You can have problems with the hardware, just like you can have heart trouble, liver trouble, kidney trouble, diabetes, And we have no problem understanding that physical issues of the body need to be addressed. If God does not heal you, then you need help. And that's why we, I, do not teach that it is a sin to take medicine. And some people have issues with their brain, the hardware of the brain. Some people have chemical imbalances in the brain, and you could say maybe that that is software. But I want to talk about about the software of the brain, the mind, which is the way we think. Because this is what we can affect. And by the way, I heard about a young boy, his grades were not very good in school. His parents started getting him to memorize Scripture. And as he memorized Scripture... His grade started rising in school as he hid the Word of God in his heart. That's one of the reasons we want our children involved in Bible quizzing because we think it will make them smarter, more successful, and it will help them not sin against God because His Word is hidden in their hearts. The Word of God is the highest revealed mind of God and the highest, greatest thinking in the world. And when you read, study, memorize, and meditate the Bible, you're engrafting the nature of God into your nature. You're lifting yourself up to be a better person. Our mind has been programmed to think a certain way. That's why I'm saying the software running on the hardware. I understand the arguments of nature and nurture that we have a certain nature, maybe who we are by birth, the nature side, and then the nurture side, you know, how we've been um, cultured. We believe that we can affect human behavior and destiny. Proverbs 22.6 tells us, we believe this, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Training, there's a lot behind this verse, and I can only just touch it. But 
some versions of this or commentary on this, train him up according to his way. Another, to touch the palate, to create an interest. But from very early on, all of us have been trained up. Right? The Bible said that we're not to provoke our children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and in admonition or instruction of the Lord. Right? All of us were brought up. Some people were jerked up. I mean, I mean that it's not your fault because that's whoever raised you maybe didn't nurture you. They just jerked you around. But with the way we think, much of the way we think, is a result of the way we were raised and shaped by life. And just for what it's worth, in case, just in case, you are of the opinion that you should not shape the will and direction and mind of your child, that you think that you should just let them grow up and make their own decisions, I want to say with all due respect that based on the Bible, that is a foolish position. Because someone else is training them up in the way they want them to go. Education is training them. Hollywood is training them. The music industry is training them. Their peers are training them. Social media is training them. It is our responsibility to train them up in the way that they should go. But wait a second, I'm, I didn't come to God until I was 16 or 25. Okay? So now you've got some things to overcome. I mentioned this last week. You've got life is grooved into you, a certain way of thinking programmed into you. The software has been programmed. And you think a certain way. And even if you're a believer... Christian, call yourself an apostolic. There's a lot of people who are church people who do not think from Jesus Christ's point of view and the Bible. They do not have a biblical worldview. They have a secular worldview. And it might be you. And I'm saying that kind of, you know, as I said last week, kind of cutting with the dull knife occasionally, maybe a little shock treatment here. Right? And if it charge you a little bit, then that's good. Because, believe me, the mind of Christ, you know, let this mind be in you which also is in Christ Jesus. And Philippians 2 addresses mostly the humility of Jesus Christ. But we are to grow up into Him in all things. The stature, the fullness of Christ. Part of the Great Commission is that we would teach people everything that Jesus taught that we're to get the teachings of Jesus Christ in people, that we're to be like Him, Christian, like Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, familiar passage, I taught three weeks on these two verses sometime in a few years ago, a couple years ago, whenever. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And this is what I want to just mention tonight. And be not conformed to this world. The Phillips paraphrase says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Because there is squeezing going on every day in our culture, trying to get you and me to conform to the thinking of this world. But be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind needs to become like the mind of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't happen all at once. When you're saved or when you have a spiritual experience, it is a process. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove, that you may live it out experientially, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that God's will is all three of those things. Philippians 4, 6. New King James, be anxious for nothing. Everybody say worry. This is what this verse is talking about. Don't let anxiety control you. Jesus taught this, didn't he? He said the Gentiles, ungodly people in in that context, who do not have a heavenly father, they are preoccupied with something to eat, something to wear, something to drink. They live to make a living. That is all they know. But he said, you have a heavenly father. He knows what you have need of before you ask. He takes care of birds. He takes care of lilies. Are you not better than them? For what it's worth, we are a higher creation than plants and animals. You could say amen if you believe that. It would help. Good. right now. Sorry. I know that I didn't really... I didn't really say that in a way to get an amen, but, you know, there are people who don't believe that. So I just think that needed an amen. So you know the Bible teaches that. We're created a little lower than the angels, but higher than the plant and animal world. Read Genesis to review that. All right. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I think here heart reflects more to your emotions. But but if you... They say that when you're worried or when you're angry, you're trying to control something that you should not. And he says, you know, I like one translation that says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And then he gives us some instruction, verse 8. Finally, brethren and sisters... Whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, 
whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Please don't do this right now, but in your mind, take out your phone or your iPad or your computer or your other device and whatever, and, and think about what you, what does he say here? Think, meditate. King James says, think on these things. So if I am spending a lot of time thinking about things, watching things, listening to things that are not true, that are not noble, that are not just, that are not pure, that are not lovely, that are not of a good report, that are not worthy of praise, no wonder I'm so messed up. Not an accident. I'm struggling with sin. Well, that's not really biblical for a Christian that you're losing this battle. Maybe there's some clues to why you're losing this battle. All right. Colossians says that we can set our affections on things above, not on the earth. We have a choice about this. In other words, just like I can set a watch or clock, can make an appointment, I can, I can direct my mind to things that are everything Philippians talked about in Philippians chapter 4. In other words, we're not bound to follow our feelings. Our mind can be directed. We are able to change the way we are. Amen? We're able to change the way we are. When we talk about spiritual warfare, we sang about it tonight. Every high thing must come down. I mean, we're like, ugh. But you know, verse 5 of that same idea. I love that song, by the way, and that truth. But the end of that little verse there says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You can just get all excited about body slamming the devil, pulling down all those strongholds, but ultimately it ends up with you bringing into captivity your thought life to the obedience of Christ. So, you know, we, we should be careful to not justify the way we think. Does God approve or not? What kind of grooves have I got going on in my mind? You know, these patterns that are in my mind, they're called neural pathways, by the way, right? And in Bible quizzing, you know, used to be involved in Bible quizzing, we say that your mind is like a muddy road. Some is muddier than others. Your mind is like a muddy road. And if you have a muddy road and you drive a truck down the muddy road, you're going to dig ruts in the muddy road. And the more you drive that truck down the road, the deeper the ruts will get. That's the way neural pathways work. The more you reinforce worry, unforgiveness, impure thoughts, the more you run those thoughts down the more you relive what happened to you, the deeper that becomes ingrained in your thought processes. 
This is the way God wired us. But when we replace those impure thoughts and emotions with what God would want us to be and how God would want us to think, we can be changed by the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Had a wonderful conversation after church Sunday, just a brief conversation between services actually. A new believer asked me, you know, about kind of the work of the Spirit and the Bible. And, And I said this in a way I don't remember ever saying, not that it was so profound. I said, you know, if everything was going to happen by the Spirit, God would not have given us His Word. In other words, if God was just going to come in and zap sin out of you and zap stinking thinking out of you and He was going to zap into you the nature of Christ, if God wanted to, and He's sovereign, He could have created us however He wanted. He could do anything He wants to do, but He chose to let the Spirit and the Word work together to make us Christian, to make us like Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm kind of just seeing these clapping right now because, you know, you're, some of you just here and I, it's good. So in other words, if you're going to do that, you've got to read this book. When is that, by the way? Listen to this book on your way to work. You can do that. That's good. In the, Old, in the Old Testament, they didn't have a Bible. I mean, there were Bibles. It was scrolls, handwritten. The average, the common person didn't have a Bible. They went and listened to the Word read to them. Sometimes hours at a time. But the Lord chose. He's, he's trying to help us be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Let your minds be renewed, amen? Not conform to this world, but the Word of God gets in us and then the Spirit of God begins to prompt the Word of God. The Bible said that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. A sword, you know, is an inanimate object. It, can't, it can only do what the swordsman wants it to do. But I would believe the Spirit, when we have the Word in us, that the Holy Ghost quickens the Word to convict us to sin, to prompt us to good works, to work in us the will of God. It's all not just by some spooky spiritual reality. It is all this together. Now, I'm going to be just a few more minutes, but you have two weeks of a break for me and sessions and typically whoever teaches will be a little shorter winded than me. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes God's people think that they, they just nailed it. Like, man, Jesus is going to be so happy with what I just said and what I just did. It's like the disciples. They went into a village of the Samaritans and Jesus was trying to go to the village of the Samaritans and they did not receive Him. They were like, eh, we don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. James and John saw that and they went to Jesus and they said, you know what would be really cool right now? Just call down fire for them and like, and just burn up this entire village. They're like, thinking, thinking, they're thinking that Jesus is going to go, you guys are so awesome. That, That is perfect. And Jesus rebuked him and said, you don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man came not to destroy men's lives, but to save men's lives. 
Oh, you mean that, that I've been following you? I'm a Jew. I know the Old Testament. I grew up in church. And yet, that's not how you think? No, sorry, that's not how I think. Parents have their little kids. They want to bring them to Jesus. The disciples see that. They're like, no, man, he's a CEO. He's like the big dude, you know? He doesn't, he doesn't see kids. Children are to be seen and not heard. The Bible said the disciples, here they go again, the disciples rebuke those parents. Keep those kids away from Jesus. He's too important for that. Or whatever their reason was. But Jesus said, suffer or allow these little children to come to me. He put his hands on them, he blessed them, and he said, such is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, man, they're wrong again. Thinking that they're right. There's been a lot of examples. When Jesus reveals that he's going to lay down his life and die, Simon Peter takes him and begins to rebuke him and says, not so, Lord. You're not going to die. And Jesus gently says, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> You're an offense to me. You don't savor the things that be of God. You savor the things that be of men. Where did that come from? Which is, by the way, that's five verses after he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He like goes from heaven to earth quickly. In the New Testament church, I'll just give one example here. God wants... Non-Jews, Gentiles, to receive the Spirit, come into the kingdom of God. Simon Peter has an argument with God over this. He goes to Cornelius' household. The only way that God is ever going to get them baptized is if they receive the Holy Ghost before they're baptized because Peter's probably not touching them. When he's given an account of this, I'm not making this up, he says, while I was preaching... They received the Holy Ghost, so what can I do? I mean, I just had to baptize them. Sorry. God loves everybody, and He wants everybody to come into His kingdom. All I want to make the point about that is to just kind of make you think about the way you think. Sometimes when you get all passionate, all fired up, all angry, all riled up, and you call it righteous indignation... Better stop, check your spirit, check it against the word and say, is this of God or not? Where did that come from? What about the human will? God gave us a free will, but our free will doesn't really choose to be independent. It chooses who we serve, God or Satan. Paul said, I try to do right, Romans 7 I'll condense this, but he said, I, keep, I find this other law working in me. And there's some people that are stubborn and self-willed. And Stephen preached an entire sermon, a long sermon about this in Acts chapter 7. And he said, you're uncircumcised and hard in ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. You just, your will is against the will of God. The Bible said that the Lord tries the reins, the will. I'm talking about... The body, you got that for free. Mind, will, emotions. We're on the will right now. The will 
You know what you have to do with the will? Submit it. Humble it. Kill it. (laughs) That's what repentance really does. Repentance says, I was in charge, but I've changed my mind. The original word metanoia means a change of mind. Repentance is a change of mind. And I'm not saying this tonight because I think somebody needs to repent for the first time tonight. I'm saying this because a lot of us need to change our mind tonight. We need to repent of sins and change our mind about the way we think about ourselves and other people. You need to change your mind about the grudge you've been holding, about the unforgiveness that you've been harboring. It's killing you, not the person you're holding it against. We need to change our mind through the power of the will. While I was studying and minding my own business today, I'd like the worship team to come give us hope. I heard, I heard in my spirit the response of somebody that said, don't fix me. Now maybe that's nobody here. Maybe that just popped into my mind. Don't fix me. I'm hanging on to what I want to hang on to. I let go of what I want to let go of. You're thinking, man, pastor, you don't understand what I've been going through. You don't understand how deep my hurt is. You don't know how big my challenges are. You remember when Jesus asked the man one time, will you be made whole? Do you want to be healed? And I feel like that's what I need to ask us all tonight. Do you want to be made whole? And if you do, you have to start with the will that submits itself to the will of God. And the will instructs our mind to make the decisions that it should make. And our mind informs the emotions of where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. It's not just so simple as a couple statements, but it is like that. Sometimes our our emotions get the best of us. The disciples are with Jesus. And Jesus says, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. Get in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus is exhausted from ministering. He crashes on the, falls asleep. He's just sound asleep. There's this massive storm that comes up on the Sea of Galilee. It happens there so quickly. The winds and the mountains, it just funnels down. And it's just like, just tempestuous instantly. And they're scared out of their minds. And they go and wake Jesus up. They ask him, Master, don't you care if we perish? Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind, says to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceases. And there is a great calm, the Bible said. And then Jesus asked them this question, Why are you so fearful? 
And how is it that you have no faith? Now, you would think that he would have said, hey guys, I understand why you're so emotionally upset right now and why you're so filled with fear right now. After all, this is a really scary situation. But Jesus does not, He does not condone their fear. He doesn't tell them that it is okay to freak out in a storm. He doesn't tell them it's okay to fall apart when it looks like you may die. Instead, He tells them, How is it that you had no faith? Because before they got in the boat, Jesus said, Hey guys, let's go to the other side. And in our lives, we have the promise of God that He that begun a good work in us is going to perform it or complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. We have the promise of God's Word that He is able to keep us from falling. We have the promise that He will never leave us or forsake us. So when our emotions are out of control, we bring them back into check with our faith in God. And faith is not an emotion. Faith is confidence that God will do what He said He would do. If He said we're going to the other side, storm, come hell or high water, His Word is true. He cannot lie. Would you stand right now? I want to encourage you tonight to ask the Lord to bring you into a place of wholeness of soul, of mind, will, emotions, of wholeness of body, the best we can do with this earthen vessel that houses the Holy Spirit of God. Especially tonight as I wrapped up my study and I brought this to a close, I Email Brother Brandon and I said, I, w- I wanna, I'm probably gonna close with this story if I can get to it. And I want to encourage our people that God can speak peace into the storms of our life, into the anxiety of our world. And I want to encourage you. I read those articles. I, I don't want you to be the person who bottles it all up like a pressure cooker, just keep it inside. It doesn't have a valve to release it. Some of the greatest times I've had in my life are when I just emptied myself to the Lord of all the junk and all the stress and all the worry in my life and I took it to Him in praise. So if you have time, would you join me in the altar just for a few moments, as long as you can. We're going to sing about God who speaks peace into our lives and into the fear and into the confusion and into the chaos of our lives.